0: Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we gather today to pray your blessing, first of all, over these boxes, For the mission that they were created. We pray, Lord, for those who would use these boxes and even those who would abuse these boxes, we pray that you might take them and use them for your purposes. Lord, we pray for hurting children. We pray for those children's. Families who might sense your love with just a box of gifts, that their hearts might be open to your message of grace through Jesus, Lord, and especially those who are in the middle of desperate circumstances, those who are in poverty and those who are in the middle of sickness or in the middle of war. Or that you would meet their physical needs. And then use these gifts, Father, to open doors for gospel proclamation. And we pray for all those involved in this process, to people who will be packing boxes, to, uh, to pilots who are flying planes, to those who are volunteering, those who assist to those who are on the staff of Samaritan's Purse and for the millions of church members today who are contributing. We just pray your blessing, your safety, your guidance in every life. Bless your church, the great cause of your church in this day. And we pray that you might open doors for gospel proclamation around the world as we serve you, not just in this one ministry, but all our missionaries who are leading church services this very day around the world, some in very dangerous places risking their lives. God, spread your word. Do a work by the power of your word. And even as our pastor comes and proclaims that word to us this day, we pray that you would open our hearts. To your truth, that you would empower him. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: I want to invite you, if you would this morning to turn in your bibles to the gospel of John chapter 10 Gospel of John chapter 10 we uh, we move our way this this week into the 10th chapter of this gospel we are Making our way through the Gospel of John, and uh, we are we're making good progress. We are uh, kind of cruising along, and it's been uh, coming up on the halfway point here soon. And uh, I trust that uh, studying the Gospel of John has been a blessing to you. Has it been? It has been. uh, I think uh, I can say for both Pastor Frank and I, a joy to 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 look in depth at this and study it closely as we have prepared to to uh, teach. Uh, these these messages to you now uh, we find ourselves in chapter 10 and we'll begin looking this morning at verses 1 through 10 uh, of, of this chapter so let me just read it and uh, you follow along This is jesus speaking and he says truly truly I say to you He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way that man is a thief and a robber The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and that they might have it abundantly. The word of the Lord for us this morning. As we have. Trek through John's gospel thus far, we have continually reminded you, um, almost on a week-by-week basis, what John is attempting to do here in this gospel. And it's got to be clear in our minds what he's trying to do, because every, every text that we look at, every story that Jesus tells, everything that John recounts, roots back to this, this one purpose. And that, do you remember what it is by now, if you've been around? You know, we find it in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. You know, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in these books, but these are written. Do you remember why? So that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that so believing, you might have what? You might have life in him. So that's, that's John's whole purpose, that people might read, that they might hear these, these, these things, these events that took place as John is presenting them to us, and then upon hearing them, they would believe them. They would believe that Jesus is who he said he is, Son of God, come to save men who would believe on him. And and not only believe that that's true, but that they would believe on him. That is to put their faith and trust in him. That's what John's after. And everything that he records for us in this book is geared toward toward driving those who would hear and read these things toward that end. And so he chooses very specifically the things that he records out of the life of Jesus and, and this text that we run across today is no it's no it's no um, mystery why John's included it because it contributes to us a very significant picture of uh, that, that takes us down the road a bit as to who is Jesus Christ that we might believe in him and place our faith in him um, and so this this story this scenery that he presents to us um, is is a springboard uh, that Jesus uses to. to and that John uses as well to teach us something about who Christ is and what he's like and how he relates to us. And we've seen John do this in, in, in record jesus doing this time and time again events transpire in the life and ministry of jesus things happen he interacts with people events take place and then he reflects upon those events and he he uses those events that took place as a springboard to then reveal something new about himself or something more about himself or to to give those who are watching and experiencing that event with him uh, a clearer picture of who he is and And we we have that here in chapter 10. Um, Chapter 10, it's really important. In in order for us to understand this properly, we have to understand it as following on the heels of chapter 9. If you go about reading theological commentaries, you'll find uh, all sorts of strange interpretations of John chapter 10, this text that we'll look at. And almost every one of the strange interpretations uh, roots out of somebody trying to make a break between chapter 9 and chapter 10 as though these are separate events that took place at different times. Um, If you've been paying attention as you've been going through John's gospel, you'll realize and remember that when John wants to change the scenery, he has ways of telling us that the scenery changes, right? He'll give us a little phrase. He'll say something like, after these things. Or, you know, something like that to tell us, okay... Whatever just took place happened. There was a time gap in between, and now I'm telling you a story that took place at another time. John is really, really thorough in doing that. And he doesn't always do it in every case, but in most cases he does. Here he does not. And so we're to understand chapter 10 as being right in the same context as chapter 9. Pastor Frank has been walking you through chapter 9 while well, I've been away at chaplain school, and you've been, been watching the story unfold of Jesus interacting with this, this man that was born blind who was miraculously healed, and all of the fallout that came as a result of that. You know, the confrontation with the religious leaders who just absolutely refused to admit what was clear to just about everybody else that it, it's this man who was born blind was now able to see, and their only explanation is that Jesus, this man, had healed him miraculously, and that that healing pointed to the fact that he was more than a man, that he was more than a prophet, that he was, in fact, the Messiah, God in flesh. And some people understood that conclusion, and you saw that some people did not. Um, um, prime examples being the religious leaders who just refused. There was no amount of evidence that would have convinced them, right? There's no amount of If that doesn't convince you, um, you just refuse to be convinced, and that was them. And and you saw how they interacted with both Jesus and this 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 man who's been blind his whole life and now can see. What did they ultimately do with the guy? Do you remember? Well, they unsynagogue the guy. They just kick him right out of the place, right? They throw him out of the synagogue and out of out of religious life, and he's on his own. But at the end of the day, he's so much more, uh, so much better off. But this story unfolds, and it's right in the context of all of that, that Jesus tells this story, I believe. This, this story, this illustration, this, this illustration that would have been so vivid to his immediate audience. This illustration that is going to help them understand what to make of this event with this blind man. And all that took place as a result of that. And the illustration that he chooses to, to use is going to be both an explanation of what has just taken place, and one of the most beautiful pictures... Of, of salvation that we see in the new testament it's going to it's going to fulfill both of those tasks and i hope you'll see both of them as we trek through uh, jesus does what he often does he used an illustration of something that would have been so common in his day if you walked around in the first century um it, it would have been a very very common thing for you to look out in the fields and to see sheep and to see shepherds right I mean, this was a common occupation of the day. Sheep uh, were a, a major source of commerce. They, they had great value in, in the first century. I mean, what was the value of a sheep? You know, right? Well, they weren't just great friends and good companions. They had wool, right? They made the they, you know wool grew on them, and, and you know sheep would be shepherded by shepherds, and they would, they would, the, the, the herd would be cultivated, and the, they would eventually be sheared for their wool, and the wool would then be used to make all sorts of things It was incredibly valuable incredibly valuable in the day and so the sheep were valuable because they made the wool, and the bigger the, your flocks, the more wealthy you were right That just makes sense and so this was a common, this was a common, a common sight. Anywhere you would have gone uh, in in the rural areas around the main cities, you would have seen sheep and shepherds, and everybody would have understood this, um, what sheep were and what shepherds were, and that whole context of this. And so Jesus once again plays off of something that would have been common to everybody. Now, you know, there's still shepherds, there's still sheep that are cultivated today for wool, and all that's a very different enterprise today than it was in Jesus' day. Today, you never seen pictures of shepherds and sheep? What do you usually see? You see? Like a large herd, right? Then there's usually a shepherd, maybe somewhere around there. Um, but they, they usually have dogs or something like that herding these massive groups of sheep, right? Are you with me? Um, it wasn't exactly like that in the first century. Sheep flocks were typically smaller. And uh, you didn't typically have the dogs barking and, 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 and herding the sheep, but you had a shepherd with his flock and the shepherd with a relatively small, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 100 sheep. You know, somewhere in that vicinity would have been a pretty normal and average sort of adventure. And uh, the sheep would be out there with, the, with their shepherd, and their shepherd would be walking in front, leading his sheep, and he would be providing for the sheep and caring for the sheep. And uh, he would be, because of the size of the herd, would be very, very acquainted with his sheep. He would know his sheep. He would know who they were. He would know the difference between sheep A and sheep B. You and I would look at the shepherd and the sheep and we would say, well, that's a shepherd and a bunch of sheep. He would look at those sheep and he would know them individually apart from one another, their differences, um, and their, and their unique, uh, features, one, uh, each, each one. And shepherds, this was their livelihood. I mean, they spent all day with the sheep. This was what they did. From the time they got up in the morning and got rolling early, they were with their sheep. And they were herding their sheep. And they were leading them out to pasture. And they were constantly about this very difficult and arduous and hard work of, of shepherding sheep. This was not an easy job. If you were looking for, like, the fluff job in the first century, shepherd was not the one you went for. Okay? Um, if you wanted the, the job where you just kind of took the easy road, you weren't a shepherd, because shepherds worked hard. They had an incredibly difficult job. It was physical. Uh, it was dirty. It was, it was often frustrating. Uh, they were responsible for guiding the sheep. They had to get them to food and water. Sheep don't normally just know how to go out and do that themselves. Somebody has to lead them. Somebody has to guide them. The shepherd had to get them to pasture. And, and particularly in the first century, first century Judea, I mean, it wasn't like there were lush pastures everywhere to go. It was hard work finding uh, appropriate food and getting the sheep there so that they could eat and finding water and getting them there so they could drink. And, and they were constantly leading and guiding. They were also protecting because there were there were all sorts of threats to the, to the flocks of sheep out there. And the shepherd's job was to protect those sheep. I mean, that was his livelihood or the livelihood of those who he was hired by. So he had to take care of the sheep. They couldn't get lost and they were often prone to wander away. So, I mean, can you imagine trying to herd sheep? I mean, it just wasn't a, it was a thankless job as far as society went of the day. I mean, you weren't like the elite in society by being a shepherd, okay? Um, it was like the other way around. You were on the bottom bottom rungs of society. I mean, you weren't going to make any, you know, magazine covers as a shepherd, you know. There was no, like, SQ magazine, shepherd quarter. Okay, never mind. Um, but no, shepherds were, they were kind of outcasts, societal outcasts, so... They were kind of bottom-rung people in the society, uh, but they worked incredibly hard and had a very important job uh, protecting, guiding, caring for these sheep. Um, sheep don't have any natural defenses, so they're susceptible to all sorts of predators. Um, in the first century, just like today, there were criminals who roamed around trying to take what wasn't theirs. And so that was always a threat, and shepherds were having to deal with that. So it was long, hard, long days, hard work, dirty, dangerous work, and, and this is what they did all day long. And, and it was at nighttime that sheep were uh, most susceptible to dangers and most susceptible to problems. And so uh, no, no, no good shepherd, no shepherd in his right mind, would just leave his sheep out in pasture at night. Now, that just makes sense, right? I mean, if they're already susceptible to danger in the daytime, you can imagine what it is under the cover of night, how hard it would be to protect them and to keep them safe and to keep them from wandering off and to keep predators out. And so depending on where you were, there were a couple of ways of going about dealing with nighttime if you were a shepherd with sheep. If you were near, near, near a village, near a large village where there would have been uh, lots of facilities and there would have possibly been plenty of other shepherds out herding your sheep, what would happen is you would lead your sheep out during the daytime, your flock, and you would care for them. And as night would begin to fall, you would bring them back, uh, back towards the village. And somewhere near the village, there would be a, a, large, a large, for lack of a better term, a corral or a large pen Um, And and what would happen, it it would be kind of a community sort of a pen where multiple shepherds would bring their flocks and lead them into these community pens where they would be safe. They would be safe overnight. They couldn't roam off. They were protected so that predators couldn't get into the sheep. And and the shepherds would then collaborate in such a way that they would hire someone to be a guard or a gatekeeper who would protect all those herds at nighttime. That just made sense, right? That way the shepherd could take off and he could get some rest away from the stinky sheep for at least a few hours at night right and so this was kind of norm you know you would have a a large pen a large holding corral Uh, the shepherds would in the evenings bring their flocks in and they would they would usher them into this corral hand them over so to speak to the gatekeeper or the the guard if you will who's going to protect that corral or that pen overnight and they would go about their business and, and overnight And the next morning they would come back they would, you know, enter into the corral. They would see the gatekeeper, the guard, and they would go and call their herds out, and they would take their herds out back out to pasture for food and water. And this would just play out each and every day. And so this was the norm. Now, what happens if you're if you're not near a village, if you've had to go further out to find food and water, and there's no time to get back to such a such a place? Well, you had to make do with what you had. So if you're in a more rural area, uh, what you would do as a shepherd is you would pen up your own. Flock overnight, and you would, they had ways of doing this. They would find uh, places where there were natural sorts of corrals, if you will, you know, natural sorts of places where they could herd their sheep, or they would even take rocks and sticks and different things and kind of build kind of a holding area that only had one way in and one way out where they could then bring their sheep in at at night and, and keep them somewhat protected. And I've got a picture I can show you of one of those kinds of areas. Uh, that would have been pretty common out in the more rural areas. So you see how that would work. You've got down in the bottom bottom kind of left-hand corner one little entranceway where the shepherd could lead his sheep and there's some overhang there um, that could protect from the elements and the weather and perhaps from some predators that might want to come in and the sheep could corral in there and they would sleep at night with some level of protection. And what would happen is you didn't have a hired guard or you didn't have a hired gatekeeper. So the the shepherd would often, he would often lay his body across the entrance and that's where he would sleep at night. Um, And that just is good sense, right? That way, you know, the only way for a sheep to come out is to step on your gut, which would probably wake you up, unless you're a hard sleeper, but um, it would probably wake you up and alert you before anything bad happened. If someone tried to get in, they would have to literally you know, go across your sleeping body to get in. Uh, so it was some level of protection. And so this would have been a common scene as well in more rural areas. And um, and so you've got these two kinds of ways of dealing with flocks at night. And it's interesting to point that out, not just because it's interesting trivia, but because as Jesus tells this story, and he uses this illustration of shepherd and sheep throughout John chapter 10. He changes the scenery a bit for us. It doesn't flow the same, and he uses both of these kinds of ways of dealing with sheep at night as illustrations of different points. And if you don't know the difference, then you're reading John chapter 10, you go, what's what, what's he talking about? So, all right, so that's enough about sheep and sheepfolds. Um, but you get the idea, right? You get the idea. two different kinds of ways this could work out at night. All right, so we'll come back to that and tell you why that's important later. So regardless, sheep, shepherds, everybody understood that. If you lived in that century, if you lived in that day, you saw it all the time, common illustration. But if you were a particularly religious Jew, this, this sheep and shepherd thing was a lot more than just the common sight of commerce in the day. But you understood, because you knew the Old Testament, that that illustration or that picture was literally pregnant with spiritual meaning. Um, because the Old Testament is filled with God using that imagery to make spiritual analogies and spiritual points. Uh, a few examples of this. You look to the Psalms and you see just a, a few examples. I mean, the most prominent of these is what? Psalm Psalm 23, right? The Lord is what? He's my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I mean, that was such a vivid image to, a, uh, to someone who was a shepherd. I mean, you think in terms of how hard it was to find um, a, a green pasture where there was plenty of food or still waters where there's plenty of that to drink. I mean, you had to work hard to find those things. So the Lord is, a, is here pictured as a shepherd who leads uh, Who leads his people to, to green pastures where there's plenty of food and still waters where there's plenty to drink. He's, the Lord is a great provider. And that illustration is so vivid all throughout the 23rd Psalm. But then down to Psalm 79, you see it again. But we, your people, are, are what? Speaking of God, we're the sheep of your pasture. So once again, God is the shepherd and his people as the sheep. That image is all throughout the Old Testament. 100 uh, chapter uh, chapter 100 verse three. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us. We are his people. What are we? Well, we're the sheep of his pasture. So these these images were well known to anyone who had read the Old Testament, and so many more we won't take the time to look at. But there is another area of the Old Testament I do want to point to. It's in the area of Old Testament prophecy. This image was used in prophecy very, very directly for a couple of purposes. On the one hand, uh, it's used typically by God warning the people uh, who were supposed to be working on his behalf to shepherd his people, but were not. God would, would bring up this imagery to say to them, you're supposed to be my, sh- my under-shepherds caring for my sheep, but you're not. You're frauds and you're fakes, and you're not caring for my sheep. You're taking care of yourself, and, and I realize this, and I see it, and you need to know it because I'm about to deal with it, and I'm about to deal with you. Ezekiel chapter 34 is a great example of that. It's in Isaiah 56 and other places in prophecy as well, but... Most vividly here, let me give you the backdrop to this passage in verse 2 of, of Ezekiel 34. Listen to this, how God uses this imagery. Son of man, he's saying to Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should you not, shepherds, have been feeding the sheep You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not gone out and sought, and with force and harshness you've ruled them. So do you you understand how God is just chastising these religious leaders, right? He's saying you're you're in your responsibility. You haven't done anything that a shepherd is supposed to do for the sheep. Instead of doing what you're supposed to do—healing them and protecting them and caring for them and binding up their wounds and going to get them when they stray—instead of doing all those things, what have the shepherds been doing? They've been feeding themselves. They've been slaughtering sheep and eating and getting fat. They've been not looking after the sheep what what at all. They've been caring for their own selves. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for wild beasts. And he, down to verse 12. As the shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And God says, I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. What's God saying? You get it? You guys aren't doing what what I've called you to do. And because you're derelict and you're caring for yourselves and you're fraudulent and you're derelict shepherds, what's going to have to happen? Did you get it? He says, since you're not going to do it, I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to come and do what you're supposed to be doing on your behalf. I'm not going to just let my sheep suffer forever. I will go and get my sheep. And I will take care of them personally. It's a promise. It's a prophecy. Down in verse 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, and I have spoken. Now, Ezekiel was written after the man David died. Okay? You should know that. So when God says to Ezekiel, he says to him, I'm going to set up a new shepherd over them, my servant David. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Messiah. This is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. The one who would be from the line of David. Who would rule in David's place. And this is a a, a messianic prophecy. In the context of a sheep and shepherd. God chastising the religious leaders for not being the shepherds they ought to. For caring for themselves instead of the sheep. And he's saying, I'm going to one day deal with this. There's a day coming when I will deal with it. And I'm going to bring a true shepherd who's going to come. And he won't be a derelict like you are. He will care for the sheep. And he will call them out. And he will protect them. And he will be the ultimate great shepherd. Many times throughout the history of God's people, the people who are supposed to be shepherding the sheep have been frauds and failures, and God has had to chastise them time and time again. And it's important that we understand John chapter 10 against this backdrop, because what's just happened in chapter nine? The people who were supposed to be shepherding God's people, Israel, the religious leaders, what were they doing? They were frauds, weren't they? They were derelict in their duties. Were they caring for the sheep or were they caring for themselves? Were they loving the sheep or were they loving themselves? Were they making sure all of the needs of the sheep were cared for? Or were they themselves getting rich and wealthy and making a show for their own benefit? It's exactly what was going on. And it's up against that backdrop from the Old Testament that the religious leaders are playing out like a record all over again that Jesus begins to bring up this illustration. And he brings it up, it brings up this illustration, not just to illustrate that, but he brings it up because he's going to declare that I am the good shepherd. Down, down a ways, and he's going to say, I'm the good shepherd. And what he's saying is not just, I'm good in relationship to these bad ones, that is what he's saying on one level, but what he's saying is, Ezekiel chapter 34, right? You remember God promising that he's going to bring a good shepherd who's going to care for his sheep? I am the Good Shepherd. I am that one promised back in ezekiel thirty four it 's a, a messianic claim that 's running through this thing, and it's important that we notice that. And Jesus liked to use this illustration, right? If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, the other gospel writers, you 've seen it. Do you remember any other stories where Jesus talks about a shepherd and his sheep in relationship to himself and his people? Do you remember a story that, that I think Matthew records where he talks about uh, a shepherd would, would leave the whole flock of ninety-nine sheep in order to do what? To, to pursue and chase after the one who's straight away, right? And it's an illustration of what he had come to do. So he uses the same, same sort of a context in another way. We see that in Matthew. We see it in Luke a couple of occasions as well. And, uh, and here in John chapter 9. Um, so, so we have this rich, rich imagery of sheep and shepherd and Jesus uh, contrasting himself with the religious leaders who have just railroaded this man who's been miraculously healed. And a picture of Jesus pointing to himself. Remember, John's after this, that we might believe Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah. And here in this story, Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the fulfillment of that messianic prophecy. This is John's purpose in giving us the story. So let's work through the details. They're really rather simple details. Um, and, and so I don't want to belabor the points. I'm just going to throw them out there, make a few comments, and I think they'll just be so easy to, to see and understand. I pray that we would just be able to, to, really, to really see him for what he declares himself to be in this text. In um, the way we'll just make the outline, um, Jesus, this is Jesus revealing himself or John revealing some characteristics about Jesus. So uh, we're going to kind of lay it out that way. And we see in the first three verses that Jesus is, first of all, the true shepherd. He's the true shepherd. Listen to verse, uh, verses one through the first part of three. Truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him. The gatekeeper open. Okay, so here Jesus is contrasting two different groups of people. Um, in the context of shepherding, there's, a, there's the, the genuine real shepherd of the sheep, okay? And then there's always this other group of people that he identifies here as what? Thieves and robbers, okay? One is legitimately the shepherd, the true shepherd, and the other are, are criminals, the, the, the legitimate true shepherd cares about his sheep, and he's there to, to take care of them. The robbers and the thieves, will find out later in the story, he explains what they're there for, but that's to kill and to steal and to destroy. And Jesus is going to hear in this, very, in this very opening part of this illustration, he's going to make the contrast between himself and the religious leaders that he's just engaged in relationship to this blind man. And he's going to say, there's a true shepherd here, and I'm him. These other guys, they're thieves and robbers. This was a very distinct slam to these guys. What you've just witnessed is the difference between a true shepherd and thieves and robbers. Frauds. And so, Okay, so this, I think this is just really obvious to you in the context of shepherding. The, the, the true shepherd, when he would come in the morning to get his sheep from the communal pen, how would he go get them? Well, he'd just go through the front door, right? He would go to the, old, to the main entrance, to the pen. He would go right up to the gatekeeper, who would have clearly recognized him as the true and legitimate shepherd, the one who had authority and the right to come and get those sheep, and he would then give him his sheep. He would be able to get his sheep and go out to pasture, right? But if you're a fraud, if you're a thief or a robber, that's not how you go about business, right? You don't just walk up to the front door and knock and say, hey, I'm here to, I'm here to, um, I'm here to, to, you know, take uh, Frank's sheep. I'm gonna kill them. I'm gonna destroy them. I'm gonna eat them. I'm gonna make them into a nice goat. That doesn't go. That's not how criminals work, right? That's not how criminals work in our day. They want to rob your house. They don't ring the doorbell and say, hey, I'm here to rob you. Right? What do they do? They wait till you're asleep or you're gone. And they sneak in through a window or, you know, some other way. They gain entrance. They, they, they come about it in some sort of a, in some sort of a, a, a of a sneaky sort of a way. They sneak in another way. And they sneak in another way because their intentions are not good. Their integrity is not good. the, the, The purpose for which they've arrived is not a good one. It's not honorable. Their intentions are bad and they have poor integrity. And so they've come and they have to sneak around in order to accomplish what they want to accomplish. But the true shepherd, the person who has the rights and the authority, the person who has pure integrity, the person who has good intentions, he doesn't have to sneak around, right? He just goes right into the door. He has the authority and the right to do so. And that's the, the contrast from the shepherding world uh, that, that Jesus wants to, to point here. And the whole point of this, this first little part is just simply this. That the manner of entrance, it shows the intention of the people and the integrity of the people, right? The guy who comes at the front door has got good integrity. He's got good intentions. He doesn't have to hide anything. The person who sneaks in another way, it says something to, to us about their integrity. It's lacking. And their intentions, they're bad. The religious leaders that Jesus is encountering here had presented themselves as the true shepherds of God's people, Israel. But he's saying here, and using this simple illustration, they are not the true shepherds. They might present themselves as that on the surface, but at the end of the day, they're sneaky men who lack integrity, who ultimately are not caring for the sheep, they're destroying them. And so they have to lie and they have to twist the truth and they have to deny the truth and they have to do things like instead of celebrating a man who's just been miraculously healed by God, they have to abuse him and throw him out. Because that's the kind of people they are. They're thieves and robbers. But Jesus, he's the true shepherd. He loves his sheep. He cares for them. He doesn't use them for his own ends. He is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament messianic prophecies of a good shepherd. He's the true shepherd that's to come and he doesn't have to hide he doesn't have to be sneaky about it he operates in public in clear view he operates on the basis of the truth and he speaks the truth without hiding it because it's the truth and he's the legitimate shepherd and those that he are who are opposing him are the, the frauds are the thieves And so the first thing Jesus wants us to see and that John wants us to see is that Christ is established as the true shepherd and the religious leaders of the day. Those who have opposed him are the fakes and the frauds. They're the robbers, they're the thieves who have not come to care for the sheep but are actually there to destroy them. Let me tell you the second thing that we need to see about Jesus here. He's the true shepherd, but he's also a shepherd who cares for his sheep. He's a a shepherd who cares for his sheep. We see that in the second part of verse 3, the shepherd, the, the sheep Hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep how? By name. Let's get the... uh, We need to get the the symbols here. Let's, Let's just back up for a second and get the whole symbolism of the sheep and sheepfold and shepherd and so on. Um... Jesus, let me lay this out at the beginning instead of kind of laying it out throughout. Put all the symbols up there for us, uh, Josh, so we can just see them. All right, Jesus is using this illustration. Sheep, shepherd, sheepfold, gatekeeper, shepherds, robbers, thieves. All right, let's just make this simple and let's identify what they all are in this illustration. In this, in this illustration, he's talking about sheep. But the spiritual equivalent that he's trying to talk about, the sheep are the Israelites, the Jewish people. Okay? What is the sheepfold in this illustration? It's Israel or it's Judaism, we could say. Okay, and who is the gatekeeper in this first part of the illustration? Well, it could be seen as either God the Father or perhaps the Holy Spirit. There's some debate about that. Um, Maybe we'll talk about that later. The shepherd, though, the true shepherd is who? It's Jesus. The robbers and the thieves are the religious leaders. Okay, does that make sense? You got that part with me? Okay, because if you read commentaries about this, there's debate about what is the sheepfold and who are the sheep. Um, But this is the one that makes the most sense here, okay? The sheep are the Israelites, And the sheepfold is Judaism. And Jesus is presenting himself as the true shepherd who's come to call his sheep out of that sheepfold. Okay? And if he's calling them out of that sheepfold, where is he calling them to? To himself. But if they're coming out of the sheepfold of Judaism, they're going somewhere into a new sheepfold. What is that new sheepfold? It's the church. The church. All those who would place their faith in the true shepherd. Okay? Do you get that? Are you with me? Yes, no, maybe? I don't know. Sleepy now? Okay. Um, these are the symbols you need to get this. Okay. So he's the true shepherd, Jesus is. We got that part. And he's a shepherd who cares for his sheep. Okay, so let's let's play this out. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. Now the sheepfold here is Israel, and the shepherd is Jesus. Okay? And so he's going to the sheepfold and he's calling for his sheep. He's coming through the front door because he's the true shepherd, and he's calling out his sheep. And are all the sheep in that communal pen his? They're not, are they? There are some that are his sheep, right? There are some that are his sheep, but there are some that are what? They're not his sheep. They don't belong to him. So this made sense. Communal pen. Other shepherds have brought sheep. When your shepherd, the true shepherd comes, he calls, and his sheep recognize his voice and hear him. And he calls them, and he calls them by name. They hear him, and they he recognizes them. Okay, he, he, he calls them uh, Recognizes them, and they recognize him we'll come back to that issue in a moment But for right now I want you to see that he's a sh- that, he, that he cares for his sheep. He loves them Okay, and that the indication there is that he knows them by name This shepherd is related to his sheep He is intimately acquainted with his sheep. The shepherd is not aloof and distant from his sheep But he's intimately acquainted with him. He knows them in and out. He knows them and he cares for them in a very close sort of a way I told you earlier, a shepherd knows his sheep. He's with them all day, all night. He knows everything about them. They're his. He doesn't know anything about another shepherd's sheep, but he knew his sheep. And each night, this is interesting, each night they would, as he would bring them into the pen, you know what he would do? He would lead them in one by one. And he, you ever seen like the shepherd's rod thing? The shepherd usually carried, he would put that rod down and he would lead them in one by one. He would stop a sheep and each sheep, you know what he would do? Every night he would inspect each sheep. And make sure they were okay. He would check for injuries. He would check for any signs of disease, any signs of problems. And he'd raise his rod, and they would go under, and he'd stop the next one. And he'd check each and every night. The shepherd would care for his sheep. He would make sure they were all right. It was, it was a personal relationship. That's how he knew them. He inspected them every day. He knew everything about his sheep. He had given them names, you know. I don't know what you name a sheep. I never had one. Maybe it's Sheep 1, Sheep 2. I don't know. Maybe it's Bobby Billy. I don't know. Sue. I, I, I don't know. But he named them, and he knew them. And the idea that he named them tells us that he cared about them. It tells us something about his relationship. The fact that he named them tells us it's a close relationship. How many of you have pets at home? How many of you have a dog? Does your dog have a name? Well, why? Why do you not just say, hey, dog? Because your dog's part of your family, right? Okay, you cat people. Do you have a cat? Does your cat have a name? Okay, you're with me here, right? But why do you give them a name? Because you care about them. They're part of your family. You you have a relationship with your animals. They, You love them, right? That's why when something happens to them, you're devastated, right? No kidding. I'm an animal person. I love dogs. I don't have any right now. but But, I mean, the dog... You know your dog. You give your dog. You don't go around the name, neighborhood naming everybody else's dogs, do you? Everybody else's dog is just, hey, dog, right? They're running up down the street like people leave their dogs. It's just dog, 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 big dog, little dog. You don't name them. The only dog you name is which dog? It's your dog. But why? Because you love them, and you care about them, and they belong to you. You're invested in that animal, right? All right, if that one didn't work with you, how many of you have kids? <laughs> you got kids how many of your kids have names you name them right and I doubt I mean you probably took great care in coming up with their name of your kid right I mean they make books like that thick of names for kids and new parents you know they go through those books to pick names sometimes and but you don't run around naming everybody else's kids right I mean well you may but not officially right not officially I kid. Um, you name kids. You probably have names for my kid out there somewhere. Um, but you name your own kid. Why? And you take great care to name them because, because you love them and you're invested in them and they're yours. They belong to you. They belong to you. And the idea, the fact that you get to name them and that you care to name them is a sign of your love and investment in them. And this shepherd that we're describing here that Jesus is using is a shepherd that loves his sheep. He cares for them. And the fact that he names them tells us That he loves them and that he cares cares for them. Not only does he name them, but he knows their name. He knows one from the other. He knows them intimately to the very details of who they are. To where you and I might look at that flock and see no difference, but the shepherd looks at each one and sees an individual. An individual with individual characteristics. Because he loves them and he cares for them. And here we're told that the shepherd knows his sheep. He knows them. He knows them. When you see this... This, this this used in relationship to God and his people, as it is in this illustration, this word no, it doesn't mean typically what the word no means in our culture. When you and I use the word no, you know, there's I just used it, you know. Um, uh, you might say to somebody, Do you know John? You say, oh yeah, I know John. We've we've met a couple of times. Okay? Somebody I've met a couple of times, I know them, but I don't really know them in the sense that the The biblical writers use that. I mean, when I say I know somebody that I've just met a couple times, I'm saying what? They're an acquaintance. I, I recognize them. I'm aware of who they are. If they pass by, I would maybe recognize them. But that's all I'm saying. Okay? That's all I'm saying. Or you know you may, you may use the word know in a very distant sort of a way. When the, what I'm trying to say is, when the biblical writers use this illustration, particularly in relationship to God and His people, they're not talking about uh, knowing like that in a distant sort of a way. When they use the word know, it's the word that, that it's a word that is, that means a very close and personal and intimate sort of a relationship. When the shepherd knows his sheep, he doesn't just recognize them; he knows them. He knows them inside and out. But God knows his people, it's not that he just recognizes who they are or he's aware that they exist, but he knows them in the sense that he is intimately involved in personal connection and relationship with them. That's what it means to know them. When it says the shepherd knows his sheep, he's not just distantly aware, but he's closely involved and invested Jeremiah chapter 1, God speaks to this prophet, and he says to him, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He doesn't, he's not saying, Jeremiah, I was aware that you existed. No, no, no. He's, I knew you. I knew you personally and intimately, and had a, an intricate plan worked out for your life. Another text, Matthew chapter seven, verses twenty-two and twenty-three. That's on the front end of life. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus lays out this kind of frightening sort of a passage, and he says, on the day of judgment, that there are going to be lots of people who say, "Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do all these many works in your name?" And I'm going to declare to them what? I never knew you. Is he saying? Is he, is he saying that he, there are going to be people that he's going to say, "Oh, I, I wasn't aware of you. How did you show up here? I didn't know you existed." No. What's he going to be saying? I didn't know you. I, I, was, not, I was not personally involved in an intimate relationship with you. I, I don't know you in that way. I don't know you like I know mine. I don't know your sheep that I'm clearly aware that existed because I created you, but I don't know you. Do you get my idea here? And so when we talk about here a shepherd who knows his sheep and Jesus being the shepherd who knows his sheep and he knows them by name, we're talking about an intimate sort of a close personal relationship. Jesus knows his people. He knows his people. If you're here and you belong to him because you've placed your faith in him as the great shepherd of your life and you've entrusted your life to him, he knows you. He's not just distantly aware of you, but he knows you. He knows you like that shepherd knows his sheep. He knows everything there is to know about you. Every intimate detail of your life, he knows. And not only does he know you, but he loves you. He cares for you. And that's that's an, an amazing thing to think about. That the great shepherd of the universe, the God of the universe, would know you. Would know you in a personal sort of a way. You don't know what your life is like, but I suspect that it's probably like mine in a lot of ways that you've gone through these seasons of your life where where for whatever reason, maybe it's the circumstances that are taking place around you. Uh, maybe it's just uh, the, the place that you are at the moment, but you feel like God is somehow distant from you. Have you ever felt like that? That God is somehow distant. You pray and you're just wondering, you know, I don't even know if God heard that like he's in outer space and I'm not sure that the prayer got high enough or something. Or maybe you don't, aren't getting the, the responses to prayer like you are wanting. You just don't feel that personal intimacy for whatever reason in your life. There could be a, a dozen reasons why that takes place. But, but you just feel like God is not close, that he's, that he's not near you, that he's distant, that he's out there somewhere. That he's maybe busy with something else at the moment. Um, this, this instruction here is so, so critical in those kinds of moments. It's even in those kind of moments that we need to remember that if, that if we're one of his sheep, he knows us. Every day he knows us. There's not a day that goes by that he isn't intimately acquainted with where we are and what we're going through and what we're navigating through and what's happening in our lives at that moment. There's never a moment where he pulls away and is distant and occupied with something else and not paying attention to what's going on with us. Every moment of every day, this great shepherd knows his sheep. He loves that sheep. If you belong to him, he loves you and he knows you. Whether you feel it at the moment or you don't, he knows you and he cares for you. I don't know. Maybe you sometimes feel like a nobody in the world, like, you know, you don't know anybody and nobody knows you. You're not a big deal in this world. Well, you may not be, but you're somebody to him. You're one of his sheep. And I would suggest at the end of the day, it's better to be known by him than it is to be known by anyone else in this world, right? It's better to be his sheep and to be known by him and loved by Him, and cared for by Him, and be completely anonymous in this world, than to have the opposite. That's countercultural, isn't it? Our culture says that the opposite is true. That you want to be known in this world, make a name for yourself here, and let the other worry about itself at some other time. Maybe you feel like nobody cares about you here. You don't feel like anybody loves you. Well, you need to know something. If you're His sheep, He loves you, and He cares for you. No matter how you think you're performing, no matter what you think you're producing or not producing. The great shepherd loves you and he cares for you every second of every day. If he'll take care of the birds and the flowers, how much more will he love and care for you? His sheep, who he knows by name. and knows every detail about. I was talking with somebody this morning about the military and the corporate world and, and how those, those worlds operate as far as climbing up. Um, the phrase is, it's all about who you know, right? It's all about who you know. Have you heard that or used that before? In the world, That's a lot of truth to that. Getting somewhere in the world, a lot of it has to do with who you know. But what Jesus and John are presenting to us here is in the spiritual world, it's not like that. It's upside down. It's not about who you know. It's about who knows you. It's about who knows you. And there's only one that matters, the Great Shepherd. He knows his sheep, he knows them, and that tells us that he loves them. And you know what? He knows us and loves us and cares for us in spite of every one of our shortcomings. Let that marinate in your mind for a minute. You know what? Sheep are dumb. They really, they're not the smartest animal in the world. Sheep are are, they're stubborn. They're sometimes stupid. They're prone to wander off into places they ought not go. They're very easily spooked, and they can't even take care of themselves very well at all. You know what? God's sheep are like that, too, in a lot of ways, right? You know, you look at your own self and your own walk with the Great Shepherd, and I suspect you can look back at your life like I can at mine and say, you know, there are a lot of times I've been a really stupid sheep. There are a lot of times I've been a very stubborn sheep. There have been plenty of times in my life when I've wandered from my shepherd and the way that I know I ought to go. Lots of things are... Easily spook me. And he's had to do a lot of work to keep me in the fold. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm thinking if I'm a shepherd and I've got this sheep, you know, he's constantly wandering off, you're constantly having to go get him, he's a pain in the neck, you just want to say, all right, you know, bring on the coyote. I mean, come on, to eat that one. you got to leave that guy outside the pen, you know, overnight, let him be at the doorway or something, you know. Um, but our great shepherd isn't like that. He knows every one of us, every detail, every stubborn tendency, every stupid decision, every moment that we wander and stray. And in spite of those things, he loves us and he cares for us. And he is our true shepherd. When we stray, he goes after us and he brings us back. When we do stupid things and we injure ourselves, he comes alongside us and he picks us up and he dusts us off and he mends our wounds and he cares for us. That's kind of shepherd he is. He knows us. In spite of all of those things, he loves us. He does what it takes to overcome our weaknesses and our failures and to get us to the final pasture. That's what he does. Paul puts it this way. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, what? Christ, our great shepherd, he died for us. He died for us. He's a shepherd who cares for you. If you, if you get anything this, this morning, you need to get that Jesus Christ cares about you. If you belong to him, he loves you dearly. And even when you don't feel it at a particular moment, he's more closely invested in you than you could ever imagine. Even in those moments when you fail and you don't perform well, even in those moments when you stray and wander and you do what you know is wrong and, and you suffer the consequences for it, he is a shepherd who cares for his sheep. And he will mend you and bind you up and care for you out of his great love because he's determined, absolutely determined and invested by his own blood to get you to the final pasture, to get you there. It's the kind of shepherd he is. Wrapped up in this part of the story is the doctrine of election. We've talked about that a number of times through, throughout, um, throughout this series on John, so I won't belabor the point, uh, but it's just it's worth noting here. Um, That we have a sheep, and we have a shepherd, and we have a pen of sheep, and that shepherd goes to the pen, and there are some that are his, and there are some that are not. Fair enough? Fair enough? It's the doctrine of election. Not all of them are his. But some of them are. And the question then comes to our mind, how do we know which ones are and which ones are not? That's a good enough question, isn't it? You just look at the sheep pen, they all look like sheep, right? Sheep. I don't know what happened to my voice there. They look like sheep. <laughs> I'm going to just throw this out here, and uh, we won't go into it. We'll, we'll pick it up next week. But let me just give you so I don't leave you hanging. Don't you hate those kind of you know, TV shows where you're right on the edge? And, they, and Then next week, come back, and I'll tell you the answer. He gives us the answer to the question here. How does the shepherd know? How, how does anybody identify which sheep in that communal pen belong to that shepherd? It's so simple in the story, isn't it? The shepherd walks in, and what does he do? He calls them, and what do they do? They listen. They hear him. They recognize him, and they follow him. There are sheep in that pen who don't hear him, or they hear him and they don't recognize him, and they don't follow him. They go about doing whatever sheep do when they're not listening and following their shepherd. But there are some sheep who hear. There are some sheep who recognize the voice. And they stop what they're doing, and they turn and they follow him. That's how you know. That's how you know. You ever wondered about the doctrine of election and how that plays out in practical terms? Man, sheep and shepherd just makes it so simple, doesn't it? How do we know which sheep belong to the great shepherd? He calls them, they hear, listen, and follow him. That's how you know. It's the only way you know. It's the only way you know. How do I know somebody belongs to Christ? They listen when he calls. They believe him when he calls. And they follow him with their life. It's evidence. It's the evidence that they belong to him. I don't know where you are in your life right now at this particular moment. Maybe you're here this this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, Maybe you know about him. You're familiar with him. But he doesn't know you. Not in the way that we've talked about knowing today. You're aware that he exists and you know some facts about him but you've never come to the place where, where your eyes have been open and you've recognized that you're a stray sheep who's rebelled against your great shepherd. And that Jesus Christ himself is God come in human flesh. And that he's come not just to live, but to give his very life. Shed his own blood to die on your behalf so that you don't have to pay the price for your sins. And he's come knocking at the door of your life, calling you. Won't you just believe that I am who I said I am? Won't you believe that I'm the great shepherd? Won't you believe that I'm the son of God? Come. Won't you believe that I've died on your behalf? Won't you believe that if you'll just confess your sin at this very moment, if you'll just confess your sin, repent and turn from it, and get up and follow after me for the rest of your life, that I'll save you. I'll forgive you. I'll wipe the slate clean of your life and give you a fresh start. I will become, in a very real sense, your Lord and your Savior. And I will care for you as one of my own for the rest of your life. I will bind up your wounds. When you stray, I will go after you and bring you back. I will love you with a personal and intimate sort of a love that a shepherd loves his sheep. And I will get you safely to the end of your life. And to eternal life, even. If you've never experienced that this morning, then I pray that this very moment you would hear the Great Shepherd calling you. And it's not a voice that you hear with your ears, but it's a deep personal conviction. In your heart you know that he is who he said he is and that he's done what he said he's done. And you know that at this very moment you need to respond to him. That he's calling you. He's calling you by name. That you need to lift your head and look to him. And you need to turn and follow. There's no magic formula for that. There's no secret prayer to pray. It's simply a matter of you within your very heart, within your very soul, turning the trajectory of your life, saying, Christ Jesus, I know who you are. I believe you. This very moment, I entrust my life to you. I want to follow you the rest of my life. Forgive me for how I failed you. Be for me the great shepherd for the rest of my life. If you'll do that, his promises are all valid and true. And they'll become a reality and experience for you today. There's no reason you should leave here not doing that. Maybe you're here and you have been a believer. You're a sheep of his flock and you know that. That transaction has taken place long ago. And you've seen the, the, the evidence of that relationship in your life throughout the years. But for some reason this morning you just feel distant. For some reason this morning, you're not sure that he's intimately involved with your life. You're not sure that he really loves you and cares for you. And maybe this morning, you just need to, to look at, at life and say, what's going on? Why do I feel this way? And be reminded, be reminded that you're his sheep and he's your shepherd. And whether you feel it or sense it at any given moment or not, he loves you deeply. Whatever your failures, however you've strayed, he loves you. He loves you and he's interested in binding up whatever wounds are there He's interested in drawing you back to to himself in ways that maybe you've walked away. Just Just turn to him this morning Just turn to him Let's pray Lord jesus we scratched just the surface of this illustration that you give and uh, And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see who you are in relationship to us lord. We our sheep that are so often stupid and stubborn and easily frightened so prone to wander and do our own thing so so susceptible to all the temptations of the world around us so easily lured away from following you so easily tempted to follow after the things of the world that shine and appeal to our flesh. And yet you love us in spite of all of that. You know us. Intimately and personally. And even at this very moment, you are as close to us as you've ever been. I pray for my friends who are here this morning who have come feeling distant from you. That they would sense your very, very presence very close to them this morning. For those who strayed, Lord, I pray that they would turn. That they would they would turn and, and, and see you pursuing them. Ready to walk them back to the path that they know they should be on. For those who are hurting and broken, Lord, I pray that you'd bind up their wounds this morning. Let them begin to sense your healing presence in their life. And your deep, deep love and care for them in spite of whatever pain they're dealing with at the moment. For that man or that woman, a young person who's come who doesn't know you as their personal shepherd. For that one that hears you calling them this morning, they hear you calling their name, calling them to believe, calling them to follow. I pray that they would do just that today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, We pray it in your great and wonderful name, our great shepherd. Amen.